Radio. In this segment, we're going to be speaking to Professor David Denton. Hello, David. How you doing, Lynn? Good. Glad to be talking to you again. The news right now was there was a conference in Memphis that, unfortunately, I didn't really alert enough listeners to that was going on, but I heard good things about it. So I was hoping you could give us listeners an overview of what happened and some highlights and where they can find more on about your uh, activities. Well, yeah, it was uh, April 13th through 16th in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, of course, I'm in over in Illinois, about five hours north of there, and we just we had some collaboration with the, the the local historian there that works at the National Civil Rights Museum. Ryan Jones is a great guy. He's been involved in some of our conferences in the past, and uh, and we kind of had a conference, you know. Basically, still on that theme of the political assassinations of the 1960s, we focused on quite a bit on the new documents that came out with the JFK assassination, but also, uh, obviously, down in Memphis, spent quite a bit of time with some great presentations on the King assassination, including from Ryan himself, who was at the museum, and uh, we did a tour of the museum. People had a great time, and I think, you know, I thought we, you know, had some some kind of groundbreaking presentations, too, that, that folks... You know, still always trying to advance the stories on these things, you know, and and, and uh, this overarching theme that we have about, you know, pursuing justice, pursuing truth and what happened in our in our past history is very important. We also, uh, of course, I'm a, a history professor at Alley Central College. I also was able to bring a, 13 of my students with me to uh, to be at the event. They had a great time. They had a chance to kind of connect with some people as well. So we thought it was a pretty successful event. I think we had about a, a hundred people all together. If you count them who we had in person or on zoom, who, who was, who was involved in the event. So, uh, not quite as big as some of the events we've had. Oh, no, a hundred you know, people sounds great. That sounds great. Okay. Now for people that don't know the, the Lorraine motel, the location, that's where the museum is. You want to, Give us an overview of what's there. Yeah, and that's a great place to. I would highly recommend folks uh, if you don't have it, if you ever get down to Memphis. You know, there's a lot of history in Memphis, uh, but obviously that's a pretty important situation there. The, the National Civil Rights Museum is located at 
obviously the site of the Lorraine uh, Motel where King was shot. But they're they're doing some expansion with the museum. They actually have uh, now have possession of the basically it's you know for those familiar with the case of the flop house where allegedly James Earl Ray was shooting from the you know from the bathtub window, which of course we don't believe, but but uh, they've they've developed that into the farther museum as well. We had a good tour inside there, and it's just a it's a memorable thing, it's, and you can. You know, see some of the same telltale signs about what really happened in Memphis, similar to what, you know, when you visit Dealey Plaza in in Dallas. I think you get the same experience in terms of eye-opening as far as looking at the things and how how it might actually have gone down there. So I I highly recommend anyone who has an opportunity to Memphis to spend some time at the Civil Rights Museum. It's right there downtown. It's well taken care of, well worth your effort. And uh, we kind of built that into the, the conference. Uh, we took an afternoon, took all our attendees down there to, to uh, you know, be a part of that and experience that. So it, it was a good weekend. And, uh, and I think the folks appreciated some of, the, some of the good presentations we had as well. Okay, so who were some of the uh, people giving presentations and, uh, and the theme for 2023? Well, just to try to go down the list of individuals, Dr. John Newman was there. Uh, John had gave an excellent presentation on the, on his recent book, Popoff's Mole, who, of course, was a book about his findings in terms of who may have really, you know, been on the inside as far as a KGB mole inside the CIA. A fascinating story. That book is out. He also gave, gave a, a presentation on the MLK as well. It had uh, William Claber, who's a guy who's done a lot of journalistic work on all three of the political assassinations, as a matter of fact. Mal Hyman, who's a uh, professor out of South Carolina, who is an expert on on the media treatment of both the JFK assassination. And, and he, and he uh, took the time to do some parallels between media treatment of what happened with J uh, with the JFK assassination and the and the King assassination both Dan Storper and Marty Bragg uh, spoke quite a bit on their details associated with one uh, Rocco Jules Kimball who's a maybe an important uh, factor in the whole King assassination story Bill Simpich great researcher out of California did some things on uh, and some new information on the recently declassified documents that we've been looking at. I did the same. I've spent a lot of time looking at those same documents and uh, as they came out. Um, that was kind of the focus of my presentation. Uh, so in Ed Tatro, a longtime researcher, gave an excellent presentation on the TFX fighter scandal. It, it was uh, in, in, during the Kennedy administration, Fred Korth and the people who t- tried to manipulate and, and, uh, actually successfully maneuvered the general dynamics fighter uh, into the, you know, turned out to be a billion dollar mistake. Uh, so uh, those are just some of the things I'm, I'm sure uh, I'm, uh, Dave Knight, who's uh, from Project JFK, uh, who's one of my uh, basically you could call co-producers of the event, uh, gave an excellent presentation on on uh, Jimmy Hoffa and some of his research there. And also uh, 
we actually he spent some time looking at the Medgar Edwards story, which really nobody's really taken a big long look at either. So those are just some of the people, uh, you know, off the top of my head. I'm, we had a, 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 a well, Lisa Peace also was there from from California. She gave a a good presentation focusing on the potential mind control, not only in in the the uh, with Sirhan Sirhan, obviously in RFK, but also looked into those th- option, options and potential with that in terms of uh, James O'Ray and, and Lee Harvey Oswald. So had some really fascinating uh, topics that people advanced that, that weekend. And uh, for those interested, we'll, we'll be uh, uh, the Project JFK guys will be producing the uh, ultimately a, a video at some point that we'll uh, have available for the conference that people might want to look into at some point. Okay, great. What is the website that we can make a link to for people to check up on? It's a terrific website that th- those guys have. It's it's called Project JFK. I think if you just put that in, that link will pop up. You should be able to find it. It might be Project JFK side slash CSI. One of those two things that, that link should come up. As I said, when information presents itself, as far as the availability of the conference videos, it'll be on there first. Then, of course, we have my my website, too, the JFK Historical Group website. You can log on there for our upcoming events. And also, we, we just posted some pictures, really good pictures from the event in Memphis, if people are interested in logging on and taking a look at that. So, a couple of good websites to go to 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 get information about our past and future conferences. And frankly, we are planning on collaborating again this fall in Dallas. Uh, folks need to be looking for that. We haven't offi- announced an official date or hotel or anything yet, but that's coming real soon. We'll, we'll definitely be having an event for the 60th anniversary this year in Dallas, Texas. And, and we've already got a lot of folks interested in speaking. It should be a Pretty big event. We're looking forward to it. Okay, very good. Now, about Memphis and the assassination of, of Martin King, just at arm's length, you mentioned there was new documents coming out. So what about the official story has people interested in that they say James Earl Ray from a rooming house across the street standing in a bathtub shot Martin King? And those who've looked into it say that, like, similar to Lee Oswald shooting, you know, this can't be the way they are parading it around that they have the guy. Yeah, I think if you're right, Lynn, there are a lot of parallels to the, to the Oswald story and, and the Ray story as far as the Patsy situation is concerned. And, and again, there's there's things that a lot of folks in your listeners might already be aware of. But, but, you know, just some of the things that come to mind that cast enormous doubt on the idea that James Earl Ray you know, was the man who actually killed King. Um, you know, you start with the fact that the, you know, a lot of witnesses, much like in Dealey Plaza, there were witnesses that saw shots from the bushes at the basin in front of the flop house, not actually from the flop house. And those bushes were cut down the next day by the city of Memphis. You, you know, one of the things we looked at when we went into the flop house and did the tour is the obvious thing that that James O'Reilly would have been too tall to have been able to take any shots from that bathtub. 
of course, the uh, the one witness, I think his name was uh, Stevens, uh, Charles Quitman Stevens, I think, quote, quote me on that, was claimed he saw Ray in the bathroom shooting. Uh, witnesses say the guy was stone drunk at the time and could not have seen anything. You know, the fact that uh, the, the bundle with all the evidence against James Earl Ray was found neatly out on the street and the on, on, the, on the front Main Street area, and it was seen minutes before shots were even fired. And it's the so-called evidence. You know, the, the, the security stripping involved in the, the King story that people need to look into, similar to the JFK assassination, the fact that uh, black firefighters and police officers were told that, that, were, that would have potentially been there at that time were told to go home or to or transferred across town the day of the assassination uh hard to overlook the fact that that uh, that uh, king's room which was initially uh at the at the uh, lorraine motel would have not been in a position for anybody to, to fire directly at king was moved to where he of course was in 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 the line of fire what happened who did that I mean, there's a lot of things there that that uh, about the King story that, yeah, that in, in a lot of ways parallel. Obviously, when the the ballistics uh, judge Joe Brown, when he in the late '90s, when he was uh, given charge the case to reopen the case for Ray, uh, did testing and ballistics and believed that the you know the the bullets just simply didn't match the the gun that were the fragments that came from King's body. So here, here again, autopsy stuff. So it doesn't take a whole lot of time to, 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 to see some parallels between Dallas and Memphis. Well, there, what you point out is that he wanted to, he didn't trust the evidence, so he wanted to have the, the rifle retested. Right, and so could, yeah. And then he was unceremoniously removed off the case. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the, those are those are important things for folks to consider. And like I said, one of the interesting things that came out is uh, and others have talked about this before, too, is and, and Lisa Peace spent some time speaking of it at the conferences. You know, the idea that potentially Ray was in a military unit where they might have done some mind control experiences on him, uh, experiments on him early on after the Second World War that. There might be some some uh, questions about whether he, you know that he might have been manipulated in some way, similar to what happened to Sirhan Sirhan. Those are intriguing things that were maybe worth exploring further. But uh, there's there doesn't seem much much question to me that Ray was the the ultimate patsy, much like Lee Harvey Oswald. That he you know was a drifter who was told to you know manipulated by intelligence operatives told here do this do this go buy this gun the guy had never been a violent criminal his entire life and then somehow finds his way out of after memphis and ends up all the way into london you know uh, a lot of things there that don't add up with the with the whole story of course and i'm sure you're familiar with a lot of those oh, things already. i am but i just trying to entice people into looking further and then checking yeah. out some of the videos of your conference and the people that are giving testimony now uh, as you mentioned there could be new documents that are coming out that the, the real thing is that 
the more new documents come out, they don't um, they don't implicate the what we're calling a fall guy or a patsy. They really exonerate him. I mean, if you take his testimony, he was at a gas station. Um, you know, he was told to be there, but he was late. And I think, what did he go to, to get air in his tire or get more gas? And uh, at the time of the shots, and then when he drives back there, he sees all the police running around there, so he just takes off. Now, um, I mean, there's been several lawyers uh, like William Pepper and and um, the various people working on behalf of um, um, the accused assassin, you know, accused. Right. But yep. but uh, I don't think uh, James Earl Ray uh, did anything. And when you look into him, you can see the pattern of they, they find a lowly guy that they can kind of manipulate. There's always somebody. I mean, I don't know what you... If you subscribe to a guy named Raul, how much? But there's someone there giving Ray money, giving him orders, do this, go here. And then exactly. before, you know, before you know it, um, he's he's the guy they're going to arrest. And they're already looking for him and his car, you know. And uh, they leave that bundle of his stuff. Some of the stuff was from his uh, days when he was in prison. I think on his, he had an old radio that had a cell number on it, you know, as well. And like you say, this bundle is dropped off minutes before the shooting. So uh, an intelligence unit is setting up a patsy with all the evidence that, the, you know, even if you're an honest cop, you're looking, you find this, you find that, you go, oh, uh, we got the guy. And it's amazing that he even got to England, but but regardless, yeah. then years later when he's in custody, he goes to, to you know to give a story and saying, "Look, I uh, I had bad lawyers, I had bad advice, I you know uh, I didn't do this," and I think relatives of of uh, the Reverend Martin uh, went to even visit him, and after they talked to him, to, to you know uh, James Earl Ray, they came to the conclusion that he didn't do it. Then there's a there's a, a kind of a famous court trial that was set up for even I think one dollar. It was just that they wanted to get things on the record, and they called exactly. witnesses. And for people you know who don't know about that, it's a bit of history where uh, official judgment that uh, uh, the wrong I think it's called a wrongful death suit, right? Yeah, and the fact that the the the, the appalling lack of coverage by the United States media of that event in the late 1990s where, you know, that should have, in a normal world, the the media, the press, you're talking about the assassination of Martin Luther King, and there's an actual civil trial going on, and you ignore it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how that could have happened. You know, I think maybe with a little more of a, we have more of less concentrated media now than maybe 20, 25 years ago. Maybe there might've been, you'd like to think maybe today, maybe there might've been some coverage that would have broken through in that situation, but it's pretty sad that the opportunity was there to actually, to lay out the truth about what happened in Memphis and well, yeah, it's no one, thing. one was paying attention. Yeah, and it, well, know? the Court TV was around then, and that would have been an ideal thing to help kick off that network, Court TV. Yeah, and that the other been, thing is yeah, that there's... I thought about that. Yeah, that would have been something, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, uh, but, you know, regardless regardless if we 
dug out all the details and they say it turns out that James Earl Ray did it and here we have this we have you know photographs or something you know what I mean like it, it it doesn't matter to me I'm Canadian I just have an interest in history but then when you find out well this is wrong so many people lied uh, he couldn't have been there then you like you say maybe Lisa P has looked into his background who is this a small time drifter you know and uh, right. and uh, you know did somebody get to his brother you know and just, just all these questions that how was this guy uh, forgotten and then every news channel will will turn away turn a blind eye I mean I've met William Pepper several times I've I'm friends with him and you know you can find out from that attorney who was a friend of Martin King and working on that case his views of it and then there's only one other guy I know that was uh, James Douglas I Douglas yeah that went to the, and and he was aghast too that nobody's there no, no, you know, I think the paper is called the Memphis Appeal that, you know, the... Um, right, Commercial the, Appeal, yeah. Right, oh yeah, Commercial Appeal. So, um, they have some writing about it, but it's kind of like, you know, it's like when they talk about a Jesse Ventura or Robert Kennedy a Jr. now or something. Oh, somebody's running for president, but he's an anti-vaxxer and so what, you know, kind of thing like that. And, uh, right. you know, kind of like, well, we all know what happened to Martin King. So, um, you know, he was shot yep. by the Sloan gun and just let it, you know, it's a sad part of our history. Let's just leave it alone. And uh, well, I, I would say this, I, I kind of this will be a little bit of a shit while we're talking about the media, but I, in a little more of an optimistic tone. I, and I actually talked a little bit about this in Memphis myself during my presentation. Now, this is more about obviously the the JFK assassination. But I, but and I and I talked with. In fact, we had some of the one of the guys, one of the lawyers uh, that was actually uh, another one of our people at our conference was Larry Schnapp, who uh, a lawyer from New York, who was actually uh, uh, over December when we had another yet another controversy here in the states about another delay of the of the release of the classified documents. In fact, there was a lot of kind of an outcry about why why are we still why is the CIA in particular still withholding documents? And uh, I think you kind of got a little more attention from the press about this than maybe uh, we've seen in the past. At least they weren't as dismissive about it. Um, uh, and that, that was a full spectrum, you know, from all the way from MSNBC to Fox. You know, there seemingly for a, a period of time, the, pre the press was starting to ask questions about if there's nothing to this case, how come you're not releasing the rest of these documents? And so maybe we've made a little bit of a headway. Maybe we've moved the needle a little bit. I don't know. I mean, uh, there are still obviously a lot of things that we would like to see in the remaining documents that have not been released yet. I know. Can you a mention a few just right now? Well, I, you know, I think for one thing, I, you know, of course you're probably familiar with the whole Joe and story that uh, Jefferson Morley has been pursuing for so long. I mean, there's several hundred documents associated with George Joannides, and Joannides was a guy, obviously, that was appointed to be the 
liaison of sorts with between the CIA as a member of the CIA and the House Select Committee in the 1970s when they were reinvestigating the assassination. And we now know, obviously, that Joe Anides was running some of the most dangerous, suspicious Cuban exile groups at the time of the assassination. So why is the guy that's probably a, a suspicious character appointed by the CIA to uh, deal with the House Select Committee? And, and, the, and, and that's the questions that I know Morley and others have remain to be seen whether those things ever come out. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're you know, from my standpoint, uh, one of the individuals that I'd like to see more documents on is, is Dave Morales. I've spent a lot of time looking at another CIA character, you know, and, and some of his stuff came out, but a whole lot of it still hasn't, you know. It's, and again, some of these documents are just, you know, having just a few redactions still on them, but what are those things, you know? Uh, we came across a, a, a guy connected with the CIA named Leo Sherney, S-H-E-R-N-E. I found an intriguing document there with him, not so much about what it said, but the fact that he was uh, on a list of people that the House Select Committee wanted documents on, some pretty significant and people that people are only really familiar with like Angleton and and uh, William Harvey and George Mornshield. And yet on this document that I came across, the only redactions have to do with one Leo Sherney, who was uh, uh, on the Council of Foreign Relations for Gerald Ford and seemingly had all sorts of connections with the CIA. Why are they still redacting stuff on this guy? That's sometimes that's the question. That's not the question is not so much what you see, but why are they still withholding something uh, on a document that otherwise has been released? If that makes any sense. Uh, but you know, there there have been things we've come across to that, that I think are are very significant, uh, important. I think to documents associated with the. The United States military, uh, we've looked at uh, documents uh, involving the uh, uh, AXI, uh, a counterintelligence operation that the military was running. That, uh, and there were some really uh, intense, dangerous people working out of the, this group in the United States military, and they were interconnected with the CIA. And so sometimes it's a, when you look at some of the documents that are out there, it's it's not so much what you see, but expanding the narrative off of what you see. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll get more looks, we'll get more insight, we'll, we'll get a, a better picture of what happened in the, in, the, in the days and years to come in Dallas, Texas, and in, in Memphis, Tennessee, and in Los Angeles. Yeah, well, there, one of the questions I would be bringing up is um, the records of a military group that were uh, snipers, photographers, up on top of the uh, the firehouse, which was situated right in that oh. neighborhood there. And yeah, you know, I, if that's, that's true, what were they doing there? Were they there in case anything else went wrong, the, the first guy misses the shot or, you know, or you just like the fact that you have military intelligence right there at the time when uh, a leader is killed. And then for people just interested in the why, these are people that were against war, that were against the Vietnam War. 
and you know John Kennedy, Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy. Yeah, I I would totally agree with that, Lynn. I would say one, uh, you know, I I think the that uh, King's speech or sermon, if you want to call it that, at Riverside Church in 1967, when he really was the first major figure to come out against the Vietnam War. And if you listen to some of King's speeches, I mean, he's he's not pulling any punches at all. I mean, he the you the the, his attacks and, and his accusations of immorality against the United States government and what we were doing in Vietnam are so clear. Most folks don't understand that. They just see King as a civil rights leader and the tragedy of his death and what he tried to do. Well, no, King was stirring the shit, okay? He was, in a lot of ways, he was, he was stirring it on Vietnam, and he obviously was, you know, as we know, engineering a people's march on Washington, D.C. that threatened to paralyze the, the city. And I think there's no question that he got on the military radar, that they the, the military had been given green lights by 1968 uh, to do what they had never been allowed to do before, to actually, you know, monitor and, and gather intelligence on United States citizens because of all the protests against the war. And for whatever reasons, you know, he was, King was on their radar. He was obviously on, F, you know, Hoover's radar. That's just an understatement. I mean, uh, you know, Hoover obviously tried to coerce him into taking his own life. Uh, so, you know, the FBI had infiltrated King's group. So with the CIA. Uh, so here is evidence the that the FBI, yeah, here is evidence that the FBI has turned itself on the American citizens. They're, they're, they're aiming, they're infiltrating everything, every student group. I mean, it's really unbelievable. And um, it, it's, yeah, there's uh, no it's, clearer example of that than, than Martin Luther King, obviously. I mean, they wiretapped him, they tracked him, they tried to coerce him into taking his own life. Uh, you know, Hoover was just a horrible human being. <laughs> so is, is that, uh, that's an understatement who had immense power, who, who was a very damaging to democracy, who obviously tried to bribe, blackmail, and intimidate all sorts of politicians way beyond just Martin, you know, King and all sorts of politicians. Um, he, he was a, a scourge to the United States. And yet, hey, his name is still on the FBI building, yeah, right? Yeah, scourge. And you're so, being polite. Uh, I have yeah. harsher words for what I think of that freak. But, you yeah. know, for people who were, were not used to it, there was a documentary about a group of, I think, four or five professors in, a, uh, I think the city is called Media. Pennsylvania, where they decided to really break into the FBI building and go through the documents and just see if it was as bad as they imagined, and it was worse. Uh, what? I haven't heard that. Oh, you you haven't? Oh, yeah, there's a good documentary about it, because the people, uh, they broke in and they started releasing all the documents of, just like you say, um, J. Edgar Hoover spying on everybody having tactics about you know in the case of of uh 
Martin King them writing a letter to him, you know, uh, suggesting, you know, that he kill himself and or or we'll do it. We'll give you the easy way out. You, you can kill yourself first or we're coming for you, you know, and um, this is over the Vietnam War. This is a, a group of people saying we don't want these wars anymore. Well, I since we we're talking about the FBI, I'd like to <clears throat> briefly mention a topic I spoke of a bit. At the conference uh, myself, um, a couple months ago, I got a very interesting co- phone call from one Frederick Whitehurst. I don't know if people are familiar with his name. I'm sure some of the folks on the broad- broadcast are. Uh, White, you spoke of the FBI. Uh, uh, Frederick White- Whitehurst was at, worked in the FBI crime lab for over a decade in the 1990s. And uh, while he was there, he uh, basically took notes on on what the FBI was doing with evidence in different cases. Basically, he became one of the most famous whistleblowers in American history. He left the FBI, made all sorts of accusations that the FBI was planning evidence to to gain convictions or maybe making evidence go away in other cases. And, And he had. You know, he had the goods on the FBI. Ultimately, he settled a million-dollar lawsuit in the late 1990s against the FBI. They had to pay his salary for the rest of his working years. And uh, But the reason why he called me up, I mean, you can look that up on his website. I mean, he put Frederick Whitehurst, a uh, fascinating tale uh, about him, but he called. That's not what he called me about. He called me uh, to tell me a story that he, that he came across before he left the agency. And it's just a story that's been around somewhat, though. I think a lot of folks have, have missed it. Uh, basically, while he was working the FBI crime lab, uh, they received a bullet from Dealey Plaza, and that bullet had a, uh, a, a fleck or speck of paint on it that he believes when they did uh, analysis of it uh, that could be traced back to the presidential limousine. It's the same type of paint, a special paint that was used on the limo. And, uh, you know, and he you know, said, if you can, and, and of course he had a colleague that he said, I'm not going to mention that person's name, who also uh, was working underneath him and also worked on that on that story or on that uh, case. And he said, if you can get this person who's now left the FBI, well, that this person would be able to corroborate my story. So it's a pretty fascinating thing that Whitehurst brought up because it doesn't take much to do the math. Now, does it, Lynn, if, if you know, the, the whole case which is so fragile against Oswald anyway if any any appearance of a, a fourth shot or a fourth bullet and of course there are plenty of other examples of that but if the FBI had hard evidence and Whitehurst believed he did they did of a fourth bullet in Dealey Plaza and then they made it disappear because you know I talked to some researchers uh, I think uh, Ed Tatro great researcher tried to do a Freedom of Information Act on it and got nowhere. But uh, apparently, according to Whitehurst, the FBI had in their hands uh, pretty much ironclad proof 
that there were multiple shooters in Dealey Plaza by the 1990s and did nothing with it. Interesting story. Uh, and I did talk a little bit about that in, in, in Memphis. Yeah, I just quickly looked up the, the documentary I looked at. It was called The Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI. And uh, they were in uh, Pennsylvania, a city called Media, and they had decided they were, you know, an odd group of people just like teachers, professors, and and uh, they were so sure that the, the government was lying to them, they thought we were going to go find out. And they broke into an FBI office and uh, took more than a thousand documents and then started releasing them, but uh, many of the papers didn't really, it was too hot to handle, and, and they didn't uh, get a lot of publicity. Uh, I think in 2014, there's a book by Betty Metzger called The Bur Burglary, and it was discovering that, that these people now, um, you know, in the 2000s, had finally admitted to this uh, reporter who was doing the investigation that they were the ones that did it. And like in 2014. I was say, I mean, they, yeah. they, were they liable for any criminal penalty? I mean, they got, no, they, they weren't. They, they get away from it. Yeah, they they, 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 they got it. away with it because I think it was even investigated in the House Select Committee on Assassinations. They just wanted to know, you know, who had been leaking this and some things did get out. I mean, they made photocopies of everything and mailed them to different people. But, um, it's a very good, interesting uh, documentary, The Citizens Commission. Sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send you a link, but uh, it's even on Wikipedia here and other places. that. Um, and she wrote a book called The Burglary that just years later, uh, you know, interviewing various people. And then I think at one dinner party, uh, they just said, well, you know what? We're, we're the ones that did it. And the most, you know, but they <laughs> were the most average citizens that were really concerned of what the hell is going on like um how come why are we in vietnam why why is the fbi spying on everybody you know and they're turning their guns inward right and yeah and it really is disgusting because it's one thing to, to to hear about you know uh you know russia this and 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 trump is a russian agent and that and you find out this whole steel dossier was paid for the, by the democrats they they had a one million dollar fund where they paid somebody says we need some dirt here's some money make up something he puts that they all every newspaper is parroting the whatever it is i mean trump love them or hate them but they're they're you know they're parroting this and they all know it's not true and it comes out now, and it's almost kind of anticlimactic that, you know, I think after January 6th, people are just, well, I don't care if he was right or wrong. I, I want nothing to do with that. And, and we don't have to talk about that now, but it's just the, the idea of the the apathy of the press. And, and in the investigation of Martin Luther King, you get that real apathy to investigate, to cover uh, anything that you would think this would be such an interesting story because as soon as you read a book or two or in, you know, talk to like even talk to William Pepper about it you know or uh, at the time you could have even interviewed um, James Earl Ray I know several people did and then they come away and say, this guy didn't do it I mean you know well the, this, this, yeah go ahead the overarching thing here is that <clears throat> you know if we want to live in an open and free democracy, and I and I certainly advocate that. I'm sure you certainly advocate the same thing in Canada, and 
you can argue and debate how where our democracy is, is at with the things that you and I know. I mean, I would say our democracy has been badly damaged by these events over the last 60 years. I'm not saying we're dead and gone or anything, but but the democracy is hard. It requires more openness, more truth, more justice. You can't just let these things fester. I mean, if we were a authoritarian state, you know, if we were Russia right now with Putin, well, you know, just go kill all the media, right? Just shoot them all, and then you don't have to worry about any any negative stories come out. I mean, if but we're we're if we we claim to be a democracy, you know, we must fight harder to get to the bottom of things to even if it means a cleansing even if it means like it's well this is embarrassing you know it was embarrassing after we find out that poor and african-american troops after world war ii were subject of all sorts of of you know radiation experiments or things that that the military did without their knowledge you know it was embarrassing the whole town of tuskegee yeah the japan the the that Japanese Americans were taken from their homes and their businesses and put in, in basically concentration camps during World War II. You, you know, we there has to be uh, a, a, sometimes a reckoning on those things. That that's what makes democracy work. You know, that we're not perfect, but we clean up our mess. We we come to grips with what the truth is, and we move forward. And and that's what has always driven me more than anything else you know that 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 uh, truth and and justice somehow i always i always tell my students as man i i don't i know i'm sounding like superman here but truth and justice in a democracy is pretty darn important uh hl Mencken, the, the the writer from the from the jazz age said that uh uh Injustice is relatively easy to bear. It's justice that really stings. It's harder, you know. It's harder to get to, but we must try, you know. So I, I, that's kind of how I see things. Um, and we, you know, when we do these conferences, we try to bring a little more truth to the public, you know, whoever's willing to listen. Yeah, well, that's what I'm interested in. What actually happened? Because in my mind. Uh, three great men, you know, worthy of my respect were John Kennedy, Martin King, and Bobby Kennedy, <coughs> right? And so, you know, if they were just murdered by a system and placed it just in a rubber stamp, the investigation, and let it go on to the next one, and then the next one that we don't know about, I mean, um, uh, Putin or Zelensky, I mean, you know, those things, like, we we got to solve what's going on here before we are kind of, quote, uh exporting our democracy you know and let's get this straight just how crooked was j edgar hoover i mean and even today how how crooked is the fbi right and um you know and if it's not you know then everybody will be uh, saluting the flag and say you know this is the country that we try to the, the justice department that we're standing behind and if someone has gone to court and they get a fair trial we say you got a fair trial but in these investigations you uh it's been my experience that it's a cover-up after a cover-up and just how bad is it well it's 60 years later and they're still fighting to keep documents secret 
60 years later. Yeah, there's no real excuse for that, right? Any any rational thinking person can see that uh, that that doesn't te- doesn't pass the smell test. You know what? Why? Even if you really don't know anything about the JFK assassination or or, or the King assassination, but it it doesn't really make any rational sense that. If there's no, if there's no there there. What are you, what are you holding back on? Uh, after sixty years, I mean, all the folks involved with it are dead. You know, you're not having, you know, you don't have to hide or protect sources anymore. Sorry, Joe, I hate to cut you off, but let me ask you this question, just because on the point you're saying, then what is so important about Martin King there that if he was killed and removed by an agency? What what's the ramification? Why what so what was he doing that he had motive. to be stopped? Yeah, motive. You know, I think it's 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 a little. I think we're probably not mean the research community probably are still maybe trying to develop the answer to that more so than it's a it's a clear story as to the when you when you look at JFK you understand that he made powerful enemies and those enemies were, were certainly at some level lined up against him it's a little i think it's a little harder because king wasn't in an actual you know position of power he wasn't a united states senator he wasn't a, i mean he was a powerful individual no doubt but he was not he didn't hold an official position it wasn't like somebody was, uh, you know, ascending and taking his spot, which usually happens in assassination. You go down through history, right? You, you know, you look at Rome where they had the period of imperial crisis where there were like 50 assassinations over a 25-year period. Well, why Why did they do it? Well, because there's somebody waiting in the wings, right? But there's not, not somebody necessarily waiting in the wings with, with King. I, I just think that that you have to look at the fact that he, you know, he made power, but yet he made powerful enemies. He made powerful enemies with his stance on Vietnam, uh, his, his challenge. I, I think he, I think that, you know, the, the, the fact that the FBI had a vendetta against him and there's no doubt. I mean, after, after the Riverside church, uh, speech, I mean, I mean, there was a total parting of the ways with Lyndon Johnson. I mean, Johnson, you know, I, I think had no nothing to do with King. That would be speaking speaking it mildly after that speech. So, how, how do you pin down the the the, the characters? Is is, is is racism play a role in it? I think so because I think some of the folks in Memphis that probably participated at the mechanical level. You know, you have to feel like they were members of the police department. Some of those folks, maybe race had something to do with it as well. But, you know, it's a harder thing to, I know I'm being vague there, because I think it's still that motive factor with the King assassination, I think it's still developing, you know. Okay, no, fair enough. That's uh, an, an honest reaction. You know, at arm's length, I would just say, well, it was his opposition to the Vietnam War. And you mentioned he wasn't too powerful, but he was able to, to um, you know, have the uh, make a lot of changes 
in the South. You know, with the garbage strike and then having this march on Washington, the poor people's. But but I think basically that once somebody you see you can see this pattern that John Kennedy pulling out of Vietnam, you know, Bobby Kennedy anti-war, and and then Martin King. That's the thing they had in common that this uh, industrialized uh, military complex uh, has got um, a security. And uh, when they feel threatened, they'll act and they know how to, uh, you know, cover up the crime and keep, you know, a real trial from happening. And, and they're never at blame. And they, and they have the weapons and the, the, um, the means and the motive uh, to keep these uh, never-ending wars going. Well, I think you've got to look at, you know, there's one interesting connection I've always, that's always been curious. Again, we're doing some speculation here. I understand that, but uh, I, I look at the uh, the fact that uh, Percy Foreman's brought in, you know, to be uh, James Earl Ray's lawyer after the, the I think it's the Haynes boys that were dismissed, and then all of a sudden the the big-time lawyer from Texas rolls in, Percy Foreman, and what does he do? Oh, he just tells Ray, you got to plead guilty. You know, you try to, you know, what's he there for? Who backs him up? Well, we know Foreman was backed up by H.L. Hunt, one of the biggest, most powerful people in America and a, and a big-time racist himself. I mean, was that worth some money? Is there some money involved from that end of it, you know, in terms of, you know, those are things that you you got to keep asking questions about because, you know, if you don't have a legitimate investigation and you can argue that obviously in Dallas, there was no legitimate investigation. I mean, Sirhan, Sirhan was railroaded in Los Angeles and James O'Ray was railroaded in, in, in his trial in, in Memphis. So as long as you don't have a legitimate investigation you really haven't gotten to the bottom of these things it's still an open case right it's still something we keep exploring and trying to understand better okay so congratulations on on holding a conference and having quite a few uh, really good speakers there you mentioned that things have been videotaped so whether by dvd or uh you know pay on on the internet i know that um Sir Owecht on his conferences, they're available by the speaker, um, and you you pay a small fee and you can watch, um, you know, on demand. You I think you can buy the whole thing or just get whatever you want. But um, you know, the 60th year, people who are just wondering what happened still get together and go to these conferences and and see what various researchers have put together. And you know, unfortunately, there's still just releasing a little bit here a little bit there these documents that that should be you know if like i said if it was james earl ray you know here are the documents we have it just release them but you know the fact that they're not um you know just kind of underscores that the government has something to hide and they don't want you to know about it 60 years later and no justice department has helped out at all you know CIA, anything. So it's taken interested historians, uh, just average citizens, that have an interest of saying what really happened uh, to to go to the National Archives and try to dig and fight and request these documents. That's correct. That is a, the sum of the story, Lynn. I, I, it's a good analysis. 
where we're at at 60 years down the road. <laughs> okay, good. So you've made links to your um, websites. I'll make, I'll put them up on our show notes, and uh, I'll send you. I'll, in fact, I'll try to make a link on this uh, documentary that everybody should watch, the Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI. I think it's a documentary, and the book is called uh, The Burglary, and it's very interesting. Uh, and uh, that was out in 2014. So, um, what were some of the conclusions then of, of, of some of the speakers there? Are, were they any happier? Are they any closer to, to finding out what really happened? Well, you know, kind of speaking in, in, in a general way, I mean, I think, you know, without going into any one individual, I mean, I think of when you and you, you, you deal with this with the research community yourself. I mean, you've talked to folks. I think a lot of folks that do research feel like, you know, they've got answers. If people are listening, that their answers are very important, you know. I, I don't know that you get a lot of different people thinking that they have the answers. I'm not sure, you know, who has all the answers, but, uh, you know, I, I think that there were some people that, that, that spoke in Dallas that, that, you know, brought forth some important information. Uh, again, uh, I think, uh, I think one, did you one, mean Memphis that spoke in Memphis? I'm excuse me. I'm sorry. Memphis. Yeah. I'm confusing. Yeah. I, I, again, I think, uh, I would recommend folks uh, look at uh, uh, Dr. John Newman's book, Popoff's Mole. is a very important book uh, that's come out recently that he talked about, you know, of how we've, you know, it kind of changes the narrative a little bit about where the CIA was and how they were tracking Oswald. And also the fact that, uh, you know, Jim Angleton, who was maybe looking so long, as you know, his mole hunt in the agency for so long may have been looking at the wrong place. That that uh, uh, the real KGB mole might have been a guy by the name of Bruce Soley, S-O-L-I-E. I don't know if you've looked at the, John's book, but I think it's and that that uh, Soley as a KGB mole inside the CIA might have spent a number of years really distracting and pushing. Uh, the the CIA in the wrong direction, and of course, some of that also had to do with the the handling of one Lee Harvey Oswald. And I, I thought that was one thing that was very intriguing that that uh, was discussed at our conference this weekend. And then again, I I mentioned Peace uh, Lisa Peace talking so much about uh, interesting elements in terms of mind control and some of these assassins. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, but the, and I don't want to, you know, sh sell short folks that other folks that gave really good presentations as well. We had a number of them, but uh, I would strongly recommend folks that they uh, when the when the the uh, our video does come out to to definitely look into catching some of the the presentations that were in Memphis. It, it'll be worth your while. Yeah. I Unfortunately, I never re caught the interest, and I only have so much time about talking about a mole hunt and things like that. I'm more interested in Alan Dulles, and, and in this case, I was you know quite interested in William Pepper, and he has three good books out: "The Plot to Kill King," 
orders oh, to yeah. kill and active yeah. state. And when you get into active state, I think he kind of lays out that, uh, you know, who wanted King dead? You know, his enemies. And where were they? You know, they were around the offices of like J. Edgar Hoover and uh, people in the security state saying this guy is the threat. If he starts organizing everybody and who knows what's going to happen if he, uh, you know. Uh, so anyway, I'll leave it at that. But I'm always interested in when someone else has a conference on these topics like, you know, what happened? Did we, did we get any, wrangle any documents out? Is there anything new about this? And uh, like I say, whenever you do find stuff, it's never more damning things about James Earl Ray or Lee Oswald. It's always, um, you know, where was George, George Joannides, you know, and who was the pay payroll? And, uh, you know, where was Alan Dulles? And, uh, and uh, you know, these people around there, the, the intelligence community. Uh, so... But in in this case, yeah, um, it's it's another. Uh, well, I'll I'll just leave it at that. So okay, well, I'm I'm very glad to speak to you. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything you wanted to mention about the conference I didn't bring up? I think that would do it, Lynn. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me about it, and uh, you know, I'll definitely like to get back with you when we have more concrete plans for Dallas in November. I'd certainly like to come back and speak of that upcoming something we're going to be doing at that time, okay? Oh, of course, and when, whenever your um, videos or anything, you know, from, from your conference is available, just let me know by email and I can post it, or if you have enough that we'll, we'll come back on and talk about it, because I think people listening to Black Op Radio are interested. So, and like I say, you don't really have to have a, a preconceived, um, you know, conclusion of who did what, but just the more you look into what the government said happened, didn't happen. And Correct. so that, that's, Correct. that's why there's the interest. And, um, even you just start looking into, uh, you know, what room was he staying in and how do they move the room and who came there to change the reservations, you know. And you start getting into these details, you go, my God, you know, uh, people in his own entourage. And, but, but, you know, mostly it's a damning tale, of, I think, of the FBI. And then when you start looking into, if you, if you subscribe to William Pepper's research about um, a, a scouting team at the, uh, at the fire station, and like you say, and then the people that were told not to show up that day, you know, take the day off or, or we want you on the other side of town, you know. Yeah, it's pretty damning. That's for sure. Uh, no question about it. Okay, so, um, yeah, the another murder, uh, that one was Martin Luther King Jr. And, uh, and uh, the railroading. Of that, like I said, that, that you know, the, his trial that William Pepper uh, worked on would have been the perfect thing for court TV. I mean, all sorts of people would be interested in. Oh, okay, well, you know, geez, this testimony goes against everything, and I think that that's why the House Select Committee on Assassinations include Martin King, or even um, I'm not sure how much in 1992, or, or with later with the Assassination Records and Review Board, but. There, there is always these unanswered questions, and then when you pose the answer, the the, the results are redacted. They they're still fighting to tell you the real story or what they know. And uh, I think William Pepper probably came as close to, you know, defining like you said in his books, 
the analysis of what happened and dug as deep as anybody, obviously, in this story. Uh, I, I agree with you. Everybody, everybody really interested in the in the King assassination story should should read all of William Pepper's books and go through them. And, and that's a really good place to start that, to, as far as understanding what happened in Memphis. No question about it. All right, Professor Denton, thank you so much for taking time. Well, thanks for having me, Lynn. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, it's always a pleasure because I know you're doing good work. And even with researchers, you might have 10 in the room and we don't all agree with the different conclusion. You know, I think this guy, I think that happened. But at least we're all interested just in what did happen, you know, and tell me the truth. truth. Yeah. Tell me the truth and that'll be enough. Well, thanks, Lynn. I appreciate it so much and uh, look forward to talking to you again. All right. Okay. Thank you, David. All right. Good night. Good night.